Here we go. First Thessalonians. I have one scripture for you. I do this every year, but I, you know, I told you when we first started this series, it's, it's really hard to, to come every year with an, a new idea for Thanksgiving. But I try, and I, I think this year um, we, we started off a little different to kind of give you a different angle about Thanksgiving. But the more you dive into the topic of Thanksgiving and what it means to be grateful, you, you can't. You can't avoid this, this verse. I just love this verse. It's, and, and it's 1 Thessalonians, if we can put it up on the screen. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 19. It says, rejoice always. When? Your blood should be flowing already. I ha I've had you standing for, for seven minutes. Rejoice when? Pray what? Give thanks in? All circumstances. It says rejoice always, right? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is what? Like, you ever wonder, like, what's God's will for my life? Here it is. God's will is that you rejoice, you pray, and you be grateful. That's simple, right? God's, he, he really does not make it hard for us. And... Verse 19 is very critical. What does he say? Okay, let's do it all together. Ready? On the count of three. Just verse 19. One, two, three. Don't quench it. Don't quench it. It's an old word. It's an antiquated word. It just means, it just means don't stop the Holy Spirit from doing what he wants to do. Amen? It's connected. It's, it's connected with the idea of rejoicing and praying and being grateful. One of the things that can stop the spirit working in your life is the lack of thanksgiving, the lack of gratitude in your life, the lack of praying, the lack of rejoicing, rejoicing always, right? And that doesn't mean like you're Mary Poppins and you're walking around skipping, singing songs all day. No, not at all. It just means that you're not going to allow your circumstances to dictate the emotional state of your mind and your life. Right? Some of us, we, we, we hit a bump in the road and we get ourselves in a frenzy. We, we lose emotional strength. We lose emotional fortitude. And the Bible wants, wants us as born-again believers to be strong in our mind, strong in our heart, strong in our spirit. Amen? Because the spirit of God that lives in us is greater than the one that lives in this world, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity. God, I pray as we, as we dive into this message that our hearts are, are, are recalibrated to gratitude. Our hearts and our minds and our our spirit, Lord God, is aligned with, with what you want for us and what you have for us as a church and as a people, Lord. God, we, we are not, Lord God, we will not uh, allow the government to, uh, to, to usurp who you are in our life. We do not put our trust in Trump. We do not put our trust in Biden. We don't put our trust in anyone but you alone, God. You alone. And God, you, you are not surprised about the direction of our nation. And Lord, we pray for our leaders. We pray for wisdom for them. We pray that, that you, would, you would send a voice, a voice from heaven, Lord God, that, that would direct them, that would, that would have an encounter with the living God. Lord, we're believing. We're believing, Lord God. And if this ushers us in, into the end times, then so be it. As the Spirit would cry, even so, come Jesus. Even so, come Jesus. And God, we, that the most important thing is that your people are ready. Your church is ready to receive the, the bridegroom. Lord, we should not allow these things to startle us or to fear, to put fear in our hearts. Because we know, as Jesus said, these things must come to pass. Lord, we just... We just keep our eyes on you. Keep our eyes on the cross. In your holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, tell your neighbor always, always give thanks. I'm teaching us about the blueprint of revival. And, and I, 
I'm, I am just hungry. I'm telling you, I'm excited. I'm hungry for revival in our community, revival in your life, revival in our church. And, and I think we have the blueprint, and the blueprint is thanksgiving. The blueprint is a heart of gratitude towards God. People who are grateful for everything. And I know it seems unusual to be grateful for everything, but I think if we allow the spirit to really live through us, there, there's, a, there's a mentality that we can have that says, even in the bad times, I'm grateful to God for what they teach me, for what they bring into my life, for what he wants to do in my life. Not that we're, we're just flippantly saying, oh, let all the bad things come to me so I can rejoice always. No, not at all. Who wants to live like that? I don't. I, not at all. But... On the, on the other side of that coin, I don't want to be that person that lives in a victim mentality that says, just because bad things happen, God has abandoned me. Just because storms are in my life, no one loves me. Just because I'm facing hard times, you know what, that, that I am forgotten. That's a weak-minded individual. The Bible does not want us to be weak-minded, but strong and rejoicing and, 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 and having trust in God. I, I know I'm not alone when I say I want to see the city transformed by the power of God. What does that look like? Have you asked yourself that, church? Have you asked yourself, like, what does it look like for a revival in today's culture? Like, what does that look like to us? And, and, and I, I want to see the church filled to capacity with the people, with people meeting Jesus for the first time. Listen, I love, I love the, the body of Christ. I love that you come every week. I love that you log on every week. But honestly, I, we need the unchurched to show up. Look, let me put it this way. If, if, if Jesus was to come back today and that trumpet blows in the next 30 seconds of our lives, how many of you are going to be caught up in the air. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Unashamed. This is, this is not a trick question. How many of you are going to be caught up in the air in the next 30 seconds if Jesus comes back? Some, some of you. Some of you are, you. are you unsure? Because if you're unsure, then, then we're in a very, very peculiar place right now. You should know. That's what faith says. Faith says, I know. In the next 30 seconds if Jesus came back, that my heart, that I would be in the heavens with him. Like that, that should already be settled in your heart. I'm telling you that because, because what we do is to equip one another so that we can bring in the unchurched who are not ready. Who are not ready. Who, who if Jesus came back in the next 30 seconds of our lives, who would not be caught up in the air with him? Although that was a litmus test for you today, like where you are with Jesus. You not raising your hand ought to, ought to really begin to stir some things in your spirit. But listen, I, I want to see, see the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter running to the altar. Don't you? I want to see people healed and delivered and radically transformed by the power of God. That's what revival looks like. If you ask me, Pastor, what does revival look like to you? Well, it looks like the unchurched coming to meet Jesus. It looks like, it looks like the prodigal child running back to God. It looks like people being healed and delivered. And ultimately what it looks like to me, what revival looks like to me, is, is, are the lives of people that are being transformed by the power of God. That's what it looks like. And it all starts, I'm telling you, it all starts with a heart of gratitude. A heart that is grateful to God for what it has. And the challenge before us, and, I, and I've, I've said this right before we got to the preaching of the word, the challenge before us is to shift our attitude from a self-centered idea of life to a God-centered, a God-focused, where life is not about me anymore, but it's about God and what God wants to do through me. And, and worship can be a door for us to walk through. You know, when we worship together, that could be a door for us to, to actually, like a metaphor for us to spiritually walk through, that, that we grab the attention of God. The goal, the goal is that we glorify God. That's the goal. 
that we glorify God. Everything that we do glorifies God. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Listen, if we become a church that, has, that, has, that lives with gratitude as the foundation of who we are, a, a heart that's grateful towards the things of God and what he does, listen, we, we can be that church that begins to lift Jesus up. We can see a radical change in our community. Because if we lift him up, then he draws all men. This is what Paul says. You're no, you're no stranger to this verse. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. In this, excuse me, this is your true and proper worship. He says, don't be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve God's will. What God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I, I love this. I love when he says, by, but by transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul constantly talks about our mind being renewed. He does it in Ephesus. He does it in, in, in Philippians. He does it in, in Colossians. Listen, he's talking about when you and I become born again, there's a new mindset that we have. There's a new attitude that we have. And one of the, one of the components of that new mindset is gratefulness. It's gratitude. I'm grateful for what God has given me. And he says it here to the church of Rome. Look, he says, listen, you, you want to worship God? Here's, here's how you worship God. Offer your life. Offer your life to God. It's a living sacrifice. It's, it's, it's what you can give to God. It's what God wants from you is your life. If you want to truly worship him, then you're going to offer that to him. You're going to give him your life. And then he moves forward in the progression of that thought because it pleases him. And he says, listen, here's another part of worship. It, it's not conforming to this world. That's one of the hardest things for Christians. It's one of the hardest things is for us to not be like the world, to live in the world but not be of the world. It's one of the most difficult things that sometimes we can get caught up in the materialism. Sometimes we get caught up in the philosophies and the ideologies of this world. And, I'm, and here's Paul saying, listen, here's how you worship God. You, you worship him by offering your life and you worship him by letting your mind be renewed. And, and sometimes, listen, one of the patterns of the world is to be ungrateful for things that it has. It's one of the patterns. When, when, when we, as born-again believers, live with a heart of ingratitude, then we have, we have adapted the, or adopted the, the patterns of this world. We say, it's okay. But God says, no, it's not. Listen, Thanksgiving keeps our hearts open towards heaven. You're grateful? Your heart remains open towards the things of heaven. Thanksgiving keeps us focused on the right things of life. It, it doesn't let us lose sight of, of where, where we have come from and where God has taken us. We've, we've all said it before. We, we're like we watch someone come up, right? And, and, they, and they, they pretty much hit the lotto in their, their, um, <clears throat> in their career, man. They're like go from... You know, being a hundred heir to like a, a six-figure heir, you know what I'm saying? And so, and they're like, and we, we've all watched that person transform going, man, money has really changed that person. We're like, they're so ungrateful. I'm a firm believer money changes no one. M money, is, um, money is an exposure. <laughs> money exposes what's already there. If you, so in other words, if, if you have a hard time giving to God when you have 20 bucks, when you have 200, you're going to have the same challenge. When you have 2,000, you're going to have the same challenge. When you have 200,000, you're going to have the same challenge. When you have a hard time, because money is, doesn't change people, it just exposes what's already there. That's what it does. And we've seen those people grow and we're like, man, they've lost sight of where they come from. Money keeps us focused on like being grateful for where I was and where God has taken me. It's the blueprint of revival. I, I truly believe it. It's the antidote to, to selfishness. Here, here's, I'm going to tell you a scary story. How many of you want to hear a scary story? Not like scary, spooky, and Halloween scary, but scary that it reveals the heart of man. 
And it's right out of the book of Numbers. I don't know if you've ever read uh, about the exodus of, of, of the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? Or maybe you just heard it from pastors preaching or someone else's preaching. But I encourage you, there, there are four books in the Old Testament that deal with God delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? And so that's Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers. And so... Um, <clears throat> And so in the 11th chapter of Numbers, there's this, there's this scary story about ingratitude. And what God does with the people, he, he, he kills 600,000 Israelites because of their ungratefulness. I want you to think about that for a minute. 600,000 Israelites went to their death because they were ungrateful. That's, that's two Laredos. We have about 300,000 people in Laredo. That's the entire popul population of Laredo twice. So here, here it is, Numbers 11. It says, it says, the mixed group of people among them had strong desires. The people of Israel cried again and said, again. So this is a constant thing that's happening with Israel. It's not one time. It's a constant thing. They say, who will give us meat to eat? We remember all the fish we could eat free in Egypt and all the fruit and vegetables and spices. But now our strength is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this bread from heaven. So here, let me, let me put it in a nutshell for you. God sends Moses to deliver this, his people that have been in bondage for over 500 years. He takes them out of Egypt. And while they're going to their destination, the promised land, he provides for them food from heaven. It's called manna. And so they are so sick of manna. They're so tired of eating manna. This is, these are their words. There is nothing at all. Put it, put it up there. Verse, uh, slide 13 and 14. says, there is nothing at all. <laughs> yes. Where, where are we at? Nope. You got to go to the end. Go. Verse 6. says, there is nothing at all to look at except this bread from heaven. Like, they, they just think about that. They're complaining about God's provision. Have you ever complained about God's provision? God provides something for me and you're like, man, is this all I get, God? All the things I do for you? All the, all the stuff that I give to you? Is this, is this what you're repaying me with? That's, what, that's what's happening here. It continues in verse, in verse 18. It says, it says, the Lord heard you when you cried and said. This is Moses talking to the people. It says, the Lord heard you when you cried and said. Pause. The Lord heard you. Let everyone in this room know that whatever you speak out of your mouth, the Lord hears you. The Lord, when you complain about your husband, the Lord hears you. When you complain about your children, the Lord hears you. When you complain about your parents, the Lord hears you. When you're walking back to your cubicle because your boss just got after you and you're mumbling under your breath, the Lord hears you. You need to know that God hears the words coming out of your mouth. And this is how he responds to them. It says, the Lord heard you when you cried and said, if only someone would give us meat to eat, for it was well with us in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They were beaten for not doing their work. They, they were treated less than humane. And this is what they remember. They remember that they were fed well. They remember that they had meat and fish and vegetables. So the Lord will give you meat and you will eat. You will not eat it for only one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20, he says, but you will eat it the whole month until it comes out of your nose and you will hate it. <laughs> you think God's angry? How many of you have ever been angry with your children? Like, like angry, you know? Like, 
you know, that, that, whole, that whole speech, I brought you into this world, I'll take you out of this world, angry. You, you ever been that angry with your children? Like, if, if, if I don't go punch a punching bag, I'm going to punch this kid of mine, angry. Anyone? I'm, I'm the only one that's been there. <laughs> I have three kids, and they've, they've made me angry before. And, and God is angry. He says, he says this. He says, because you have turned away from the Lord who is among you. So you're going to eat meat for a whole month. You want meat? I'm going to give you meat. And you're going to eat it for the whole month. And it's going to, you're going to, it's going to come out of your nostrils. And you're going to hate the taste of meat. And he's like, why am I going to do this? Because you have turned away from the Lord. That is a very critical phrase right there. You have turned away from the, do we have it up here? You have turned away from the Lord. What turned him away from the Lord? I'm, I'm teaching you that this morning. What turned, what turned him away from the Lord? Ungratefulness. Can you see the levels of evil that ingratitude can take you? It's dangerous for every one of us in this room. We are no different from the children of Israel. We have, we, we, we have our, our idea, our expectations of what God should do, should not do, right? That, that's just who we are as human beings. We're wired that way. And, and this story serves as a reminder that we are the created being, not the creator. And it, it's a reminder that God hears everything that comes out of our mouth. It is a reminder that, that ungratefulness can actually turn your heart away from the Lord and you not even know it. That is scary. It is scary for, for me to think about that if I become ungrateful for the provision of heaven, the manna from heaven, if I become ungrateful for the, the things that I have that God has provided, whether great, great or small, I can be in danger of turning away from the Lord. God disciplines those he loves. He loves his children and he disciplined them. And, and if you read the story... The Bible, that story, you continue to go read it. Out of Numbers chapter 11, God brings a disease. He brings a sickness over the people. And over 600,000 people die because of their ungratefulness. Some of us, listen, listen. I know what you're thinking. Oh, man, we're in, we're in the grace era of the Bible. I, I, I get that. But some of you have probably never read Hebrews either. And some of you need to go read the book of Hebrews in the grace era of the Bible. And some of us need to understand that, that, there's, that we do not continue to sin, that grace may abound. Right? We, we do what is right unto the Lord so that God will bless us and God will protect us. But if we continue, we continue to do our own thing, our own way, and we continue to be stubborn. Listen, God's discipline will come upon our life. And some of us, some of us are getting in a position in our lives, it's so hard and it's, and it's so restrictive. You're like, why can't I not get past this? It might be because you've been complaining about the food from heaven. <laughs> it might be because our hearts have left the Lord because we become ungrateful. I don't want to be those people. I, I want to be a person that is constantly reminded of the faithfulness of God. Here's, here's, here's a modern day illustration for you. Imagine, I don't know, it, it, we're, we're in the 21st century, so, so the cook of the house is the cook of the house. Back in the day when I was growing up, mom was the cook of the house. It's just, it's just how it was. Mom, I miss your food a lot. Um, she watches every Sunday. Boy, she... She'd make, during winter, she'd make those tortillas, and they'd be nice and hot, and I'd just put them both on my cheek, right? That's how it stayed warm in my house with the food. But anyways, and then she would cook Fidel. I just started thinking about mom's food. But, you know, when you, when you come home and the cook's been slaving over your dinner, whoever the cook is, and you sit at the table, and all you have is complaints for the cook, what usually happens, <laughs> right? What usually happens? 
right? The cook, the cook gets mad and throws something at you or like they start, they, they rebuttal. Like I've been cooking all day for you and, and all you want to do is bring complaints and complain about it's not warm, complain about, you know, whatever. It's not your favorite meal. That, that's, that's what happened here. It's like God's like, I've been cooking every day since you left Egypt and I've been providing food for you and now all you can do is complain that it is not the food that you want. Let's not be those people. The Bible tells us in, in, in Thessalonians, we read it, it's our, it's our proof text. Always rejoice, always be, keep on praying. No matter what happens, always be thankful for God. Always be thankful for the things of the Lord. The Bible is very clear. Unthank, an unthankful heart produces wickedness at, at, at terrifying levels. Terrifying levels. So, so I've been thinking, if, if an unthankful heart produces wickedness at terrifying levels, what would a heart of gratitude produce? What would a heart of gratitude manufacture? What, what if God's people who know God, who worship God, who glorify God, come in with a grateful heart, what could that produce? What would God do among us if we were people that actually flipped the script and said, I'm not going to be unthankful or ungrateful for what God has provided, but I'm going to be thankful for everything that he has given us. Could we possibly, could we possibly see a revival in this place? I think so. I think so. Could we create an, an anticipation so exhilarating that people actually want to come into the presence of God? They don't want to miss church. They don't want to log in online. They want to be here because there's just something about the power and the manifestation of the Spirit of God in our presence that because it's produced out of thanksgiving, then people are like, I just want to be in the church house. Could, could we possibly be those people that stir the spirit that way? Absolutely. And we just need to get hungry for the things of God. We need to get hungry for what he has in store for us. Here's, here's another thing I thought about. Could it possibly be that our level of thanksgiving produces our level of faith? In other words, little thanks creates little faith. Could that be the problem among us, right? Could it be if we have big, big thanks, there's big faith in the house? I don't think you're getting this. Like, like if we had a big thanks in our heart, it would produce an amazing amount of faith in this place that, that miracles begin to happen. The things that you long to see, the things that you long for heaven to, 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 to descend towards us, my goodness, you would see people delivered, you would see people healed, you would see the Spirit's power flowing in this place. Why? Because there's a big thanks, and a big thanks produces big faith. I, I have to challenge myself. I'm telling you, it, it doesn't just come naturally to go, man, I want to be a person as a big thanks. Because I walk out of here full of courage and power and then, you know, I get a flat tire on the way home or someone rear ends me or, or someone called me and gave me bad news or, or someone just wants to, wants to tell me off because they didn't like whatever. I'm like, ah, oh. and my little thanks my little faith. No, it's a challenge. So I, I wrote down some bullet points for us. And, and, and here, here, here's, they're just kind of these ideas that have just flowed out of my heart about Thanksgiving and what it could do for us. And so here, here's the first one. It's this, thankfulness is a powerful spiritual catalyst. I really believe it. You know, catalyst means it's this, it increases impact or influence without being consumed. So I thought about the burning bush. I thought about, you know, how the power of God didn't consume the bush. 
right? We call it the all-consuming fire of God. And so I thought, like, Thanksgiving will generate in us this revelation, this new revelation, spiritual substance without consuming us. Think about that. The spirit of God that lives in us, he, he doesn't consume us, but, but he's going to give us this new revelation, this, this new enlightenment, this new spiritual substance without being consumed. And it creates things in this place to just begin to feel the power and the presence of God. Because of you. Because you have a big thanks and your faith gets big. Because you want to see God do great things. And so they creates anticipation in this place. And so I thought about the book of Acts, you know, when he says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That's the all-consuming power of God, right? It, it doesn't consume us, but it lives in us. You and I can receive this power from the Holy Spirit. Power to do what? To be a witness, Power to share the gospel. Power to let people know. Listen, just because your candidate lost or won, it doesn't mean anything. The only important thing is, where is your relationship with God? It reminds me what Jesus tells his disciples. He says, believe in me and when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe in the evidence of the works themselves. Right? At least, he says, at the very minimum, look at what I'm doing and connect it with the Father in heaven. Could we not be that church? Could we not be the church that has evidence of its works? Could we not be the church that has evidence that we're connected to heaven? Could we not be the people that has evidence that show that we are actually one with Christ and one with the Father and one with the Holy Spirit? Could we be those people? He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have done, I've been doing, and they will do even greater works. How many of you want to do greater works through the Holy Spirit? Because you have believed that you can change this atmosphere by having this relationship with God, and your thankfulness creates this faith-moving mountains in your life. Come on, church, let's be those people. I, I, love, I love what Matthew says. He, says. he says, you are the light of the world. He says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. No, he says, instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the room. He says, in the same way, you are the light that shines before others. Shine, go ahead. Give me 15. That they may see your good what? Jesus says, at least let the evidence of what I do, at least let my good deeds show you, at least, at least look at the goodness that I'm doing that proves I'm from God. What does Matthew say? Matthew says, let your good deeds be seen. So why? What's the goal? You probably don't remember. I said it very early on in my, in my sermon. The goal is to glorify God. That's the goal, that we as a church glorify God, that you as a person glorifies God. That's the goal. Back to the verse. The other one. That our good deeds glorify God. What are your deeds glorifying? What are your deeds glorifying? The Cowboys? Come, Pastor Greg. Is that your deeds glorify? The Cowboys? What, what are your deeds glorify? Yourself? Your accomplishments? Your accolades? They're not glorifying God. You're not the light on the hill. You're not the light in the room. Because Jesus said, he says, listen, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that your good deeds may glorify God. Here's the other bullet point. 
So thanksgiving is a catalyst. It's a catalyst for spiritual power. Thanksgiving changes our perspective about God. We've heard this before. It's like it, it doesn't mean that God literally gets bigger. It just means that how we see God in our life, it just radically changes. Radically changes. We all know about perspective, right? If you have a different perspective about something, it, it might change the way you think about it. Right? So many of us, we're like, oh, I don't love Laredo. I don't like Laredo. We complain about our city, right? But let me tell you, go down to, go down to Alice and live there for a week. I hope no one's watching from Alice. Alice is a beautiful little town. But me, I cannot live in Alice, right? We go to Dallas. We go to Houston. We go to New York. We go to, we go to Philadelphia. We go to these big cities. And we're like, why can't Laredo be like that? Well, that's a different perspective. Different perspective. Go down to Falfurrias and live there. Go to Hebronville. Go to Oilton. Live in Oilton for the, for the next 30 days of your life. And then when you come back to Laredo, you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, I love Laredo. That's what you're going to say because you actually have a grocery store. It's, it, perspective changes everything. H how you see God when you're grateful when you're thankful for what he gives you, when you're thankful for the manna of heaven. It's like you, you, your complaints aren't towards heaven anymore. David says, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than ox, more than a bull with its horns and its hooves. You know what he's saying? He's saying, my worship to God, he loves more than sacrifices. Because that's what the ox is and that's what the bulls are. and that's what they, they, Those are animals that they sacrifice to God. He says, God would rather my praise than me just going through the rituals of sacrifices. God would rather your praise. Let me tell you. Hey, look, look at Acts 16. I don't know if you know the story about Paul and Silas. But they, they're in the city and they're preaching the, the name of Jesus. And they're preaching Jesus Christ crucified and some little demon possessed girl keeps following her right and and Paul allows it to happen but finally he he the bible says Luke writes and Paul got annoyed I love it I love that that he said Paul got annoyed that means I can get annoyed when I'm preaching at you that means when you're sitting there and you're doing nothing, you're like, you're like on your phones. I, I'm allowed to get annoyed. When you're, when you're paying attention to something else, I'm allowed to get annoyed and be like, hey, 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 pay attention to what God has to say in your life. That, that's what Luke gave me. Luke gave me freedom to be annoyed. So Paul got annoyed. He got annoyed. And you know what he did? Because he was annoyed, <laughs> out of his annoyance, he delivers this girl from this demon. Not because she needed to be free. But because he was annoyed because she, he, she would not let him preach. And man, that stirred a ruckus. Again, great story, incredible story. But my point of, of the story is this. They, they now get thrown into prison. The people of the city were so mad that Paul delivered this little girl who can tell the future and stuff like that. They, they, they got mad at him. They flogged him. They beat him. They beat him and Silas and they put him into prison. Man, I, I, I don't know if, 20, and I'm, I'm including myself in this. I don't know if 21st century Christians can handle this type of Christianity. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, imagine the, the mob, if there was a mob outside, grabbed you, beat you, stripped you, threw you into prison because you were preaching the name of Jesus Christ. And, and, and they're in prison, and, and they would have, you would think they would have the right to complain to God. It's like, God... I do this for you all the time. Could you not protect me once? Could you not dispatch angels? Could you not shift the hearts of the people? Could you not just, just spare us the, the, the physical beating, just throw us in jail? Like, no, that's not what they did. You know what they did? They had a heart of thanksgiving. How do we know this? Because it says in, in chapter 16, 25, it says, about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to, to them. Suddenly there was, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, all the prisoners' doors flew open and everyone's chains were loose. I love it. I love it. Instead of having an attitude like the children of Israel in Numbers 11, 
saying, God, we had fish and meat in Egypt. Instead of having that attitude, they had an attitude that said, okay, we're in prison. Let's just praise God. Let's give God thanks. Let's give God glory. Let's sing songs to God. And so in the midnight hour, they begin to sing songs to God. And you know what God's spirit does? It erupts the place. What a great reminder. The next time you and I get into a, a, a little situation where life and the conveniences of life aren't as easy as we are normally accustomed to, let's give God praise. Let's sing a song to God. Paul says it in Ephesians. He says, sing a song with gratitude in your heart towards the Lord. Let's be grateful towards God and watch and see what God does. If he does nothing, great. But you were grateful. But out of your gratefulness, if he begins to, to change your circumstance, wonderful. Because you, were, you had the appropriate attitude towards heaven. Here's, here's the thing. Here's another thing. is Thanksgiving gets you into God's gates. It's a metaphor, right? It's that Paul says, I will come to, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart, right? It's the idea of coming into God's presence. If the worship team can, where's the worship team? I'm so thankful for them. Aren't you thankful for our worship team? I really am. I mean, these guys for years have been, have, been, have been with us and playing and being so faithful. Right, but um, where are they? Oh, they, there they are. Come on, guys. Get, be, be grateful for our team. <clears throat> if there's anyone in Scripture that knows how to get a hold of the heart of God, it was David. You, you want to study you want to do a character study on how to get a hold of God when, when you need him most? Study David and you'll see. You'll see this, this man, how he loved God and how he loved to pursue God in worship. And King David, the Bible tells us that he's a man after God's own heart. In other words, he knew how to worship God in spite of his circumstances. David said, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Did you know that you and I can take a page out of David's book and we can learn how to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? We can learn how to praise God in the midst of our circumstances that you and I can learn from King David and we can find out what pleases God and do it. You can learn from King David. Listen, here's, here's the point. Find out what pleases God and do it. And can I give you a little insider's tip? Here's a little insider's tip of what pleases God. Faith and worship. Faith and worship pleases God. Hebrews 11 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. <laughs> faith and worship. If we go back to my idea of big thanks has big faith. You want to please God? Have a grateful heart towards the things of God. Have a, have, a, have a heart of thanksgiving towards the things that he's blessed your life with. Even for the tough times. Look at the tough times and see what God has taught you in the tough times. <laughs> it's like, you want to know what pleases God? Faith and worship. The Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Matthew 8 has this beautiful story of the, of, the, uh, of the centurion. Jesus comes into Capernaum and the centurion has a sick, uh, sick servant. And, and so Jesus says, should I go to your house and heal your servant? And, and the centurion's like, no, wait, wait, wait. He says, I'm a man in authority and under authority. You can put the scripture up. He says, I'm a man in authority and under authority. He says, I tell this soldier to go do this, and he goes, do it. I tell this guy to go do that, and he does it. He says, so if you just speak the word. He tells Jesus, literally. This, this centurion has no connection with Jesus. But he had such a faith. He understood. He understood positional authority. He understood what it meant to submit and to lead. My goodness, if we can learn something from the centurion, is understand your position. And so he tells Jesus, he says, Jesus, if you just speak the word, I know it will happen. 
And Jesus says something so amazing, so amazing. Jesus heard this, and he was amazed and said, those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Can, can, can you and I truly be like David, come into his gates with thanksgiving in his heart? Can we be like the centurion? Can we be like Paul and Silas? All these people that the Bible uses to demonstrate a heart of thanksgiving. Can we be these people? Because if you can, and if I can, my goodness, we have not seen, the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those that love him. <laughs> but you got to want it. You got, you got to want it. You got to know when you cross the threshold of the Lord's gates, there's going to be something asked of you. You got to know that the moment you decide, I want to go over there where God is, he's going to require something of you. Do not try to cross the gates of the Lord without be, being willing to lay down something in your life because he's going to require it. It's a living sacrifice. It's a, it's a choice that you and I have to make to say, if I want God, I need to go into his gates. But if I go into his gates, I know he's going to ask me of something that I do not want to give up. We always, we always love this idea, this philosophy, this, this, this Christian ideology that, that God's just going to give, 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 and he's going to put goosebumps in our back, and he's going to make us feel great. <laughs> that is the wrong God of Scripture. You can search for that God a thousand times over. He is not found in the good book. The good book says if you, want to, if you want to find your life, you must lay your life down. If you want to be my disciple, you have to pick up your cross and crucify your flesh. If you want to come to heaven, you're going to have to follow the narrow gate, not the broad one. Oh, my goodness, church. If you want to go into the, gate, in the gates of the Lord with thanksgiving in your heart, he's going to require something. And that's why David was always known as a man after God's own heart. Because he was willing to sacrifice whatever he needed to sacrifice to get into the gates of the Lord. Study him. You'll be amazed. They're taking an offering for, for, for the temple of the Lord. This is the king, King David. He could do whatever he wants. He's the king. We don't understand monarchy, but you need to know. The king can do whatever he wants. Whatever. And, and they're taking an offering. He says, I will not, I will not give anything to the Lord that did not cost me something. He understood. He understood what it meant to go into God's gates with thanksgiving in his heart. A thankful person brings a gift to the Lord. A thankful person knows how to get a hold of God's heart. A thankful person knows what God requires. And before he tries to go into the holy of holies, he says, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to lay it down because I want what's over there more than what I have here. A thankful person says, I'm going to chase God with all my heart. I'm going to have a big thank you so that I can have a big faith. It gets you into the, into the gates of the Lord. Here, here's the final bullet point. Can I just preach this? It's 1130. Are you okay? Are you okay? This is the final bullet point. It's, it's like Thanksgiving makes available the resources of heaven to earth. Think about this. I know there, there are people in this room that needs heaven's resources. Lord knows I do. I think this, this point is, is, is for our church. Are you ready? Are you ready to sing? You got Thanksgiving in your heart? You got something good for us? You're going to take us into the courts of the Lord? All right. Here. <clears throat> I have two stories to tell you, and I, I, 
because of time's sake, I don't, I don't want to <laughs> spend time on the stories other than giving you the points of them. Out of Matthew chapter 14, many of us might be familiar with this story, but Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? He takes the five loaves and the two breads, and, and, or the two fish. And, and the people were with him. They wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to, the teaching of God. They wanted the healing of God. And the Bible says that God, Jesus had compassion and he healed them. And, and the disciples wanted to send them away because it was already getting late. And he's like, don't send them away. He's like, but they have no food. Jesus says, well, feed them. <laughs> Can you imagine? He's like, what do you mean feed them, Jesus? You're the one who brought them here, like 5,000 people. How am I going to feed 5,000 people? My goodness, we struggle to feed 600 on Thanksgiving Day. Like, can you imagine feeding 5,000 people? It just, it's just it's mind-boggling. And he does it with, two, with, with five loaves and two fish. And so he, he, he does this interesting thing. I don't know if you can get me to verse 18. Can you get me to verse 18? <clears throat> is it possible? My little switcher is amazing. Whoever's switching, you're amazing. Here it says, verse 18. Bring them here to me, he said. This is, the, this is the, the loaves and the fish. And he directed the people to sit down and on the grass, taking the five loaves and the, and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He looks up towards heaven, right? I, you can, imagine, can you imagine the look on his face towards heaven? And, he, and he, what does he do? He gives thanks. He gives thanks. And then, and then after he gives thanks, they begin to feed everybody and everyone, 5,000 people get fed into fed and there's leftovers. Go, go to slide 47, 48. So now we have a different story. And, and this, is, this is at the, the Last Supper. And these stories are connected with this one, this phrase here. It says, after taking the cup, what did he do? He gave thanks. And said, take this and divide it among you. He says, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19, he says, and he took the bread and what? Gave thanks and broke it. So there's 5,000 people. He takes, the, he takes the food and he gives thanks. This is, this is his last hour with his disciples. He takes the cup, he gives thanks, and he takes the bread and he gives thanks. And most of us were like, oh, yeah, so we're supposed to pray over our meal. No, that's not what's happening here. I think it's important. Go ahead and pray over your meal. Be grateful for what God has given you. But that, this, this is not supporting meal prayer time. Not at all. Because you can pray over your meal and be ungrateful in your heart. And the words can flow out of your mouth and there's no gratitude in your heart for what you're about to eat. <laughs> what Jesus does here is amazing. He looks towards heaven. Right? And then here at the Last Supper, he, he, he takes this. And there's this, there's this acknowledgement. And some of, you, some of your theology might, might get really challenged here. There's this acknowledgement that Jesus has. He says, I can't do this without heaven. I can't do it without heaven. Heaven's resources need to come at this moment. So that I can do what I need to do. How do we know this? Oh, I wish I had time to teach all this. How do, we, how do we know this? We know this because when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he begs. He asks God. He's like, God, is there any way for you to take this cup from me? I can't do this. Take this cup. The cup that he was talking about was laying down his life. To, be, to go through the crucifixion, to be, to be beaten and bruised and go through the horrible, the horrible uh, process of being crucified. But even greater than that, greater than that, because on the surface you're thinking, man, that's the pain that Jesus goes through. Greater than that, what Jesus was saying is what I can't do is what I know is about to happen. When I hang on that cross, you're going to turn your back from me. That... God, I cannot do. I can take the weight of the world on my shoulders. I can take the sin of people, but I can't have you turning your back on me. And so what does he do when he breaks the bread? He gives thanks. What does he do when he's, breaking, when he's praying over the fish and the loaves? He gives thanks. What is he giving thanks for? He's giving thanks for the resources of heaven. 
And so in one case, the resource of heaven feeds 5,000 people. In another case, the resource of heaven is his life. It saves everybody. That's the resource of heaven. And so Jesus gives thanks for the resource that was sent. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God says, his heel will crush your skull. It was Jesus already knew. He was giving thanks for what God had already provided all the way back in the Garden of Eden. My goodness, if you would let this get in your spirit, when you know how to get a hold of heaven, you will give thanks for the resources that God provided for you years ago that you are now walking in your blessing. Oh, come on, church. There has to be this shift in our hearts that say, God, I am so grateful for the resources of heaven. I cannot do this on my own strength. You got to stop trying to do it on your own strength. You got to stop trying to let pride tell you that you have all the answers and all the ways. You got to just humble yourself and look towards heaven the way Jesus did. I can imagine the look on his face going, 5,000 people, I know heaven can do it. I know heaven can do it. And he gives thanks. It doesn't, Matthew doesn't tell us what words he used, but we know he gave thanks. <laughs> and because he gave thanks, heaven sends its resource. Heaven wants to release its resource. Wants to release its resource. Matthew 16, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? <laughs> you're, the, you're the prophet. You're, you know, you're Elijah. You're whatever. No, who do you say I am, Peter? You're the son of God. You're the Messiah. And he says, oh, you got it right. You got it right. And he says, because of that, heaven's going to release its resource in your life. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. The rock of Christ, right? He says, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And so what does heaven do? Heaven releases the resources. He says, if you can put uh, 51 and 54 up there. He says, <laughs> no, 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 go back. You had the right one. You had the right one. He says, blessed are you, Simon. He says, this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Will, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Leave it there. I, I, want, I want that to just sink in. Sink in your spirit. My goodness, God's looking for some warriors. He's looking for some warriors that know how to use the keys of heaven. And know how to grab the resources of heaven and give thanks for it so that God can release what's in heaven here on earth. Not for your purpose and not for your convenience, but so that your good deeds may glorify who? God. Some, some of you, God's ready to launch you into the next atmosphere. He really is. He's ready, he's ready to do it. But you just got, you got to quit being so prideful and just look towards heaven and say, I, I, I can't do this without you. I cannot do it without you. Give thanks. Maybe, maybe some of you are just, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't want to pretend that I, I, I know. But what I do know, what I do know is that God is not a respecter of person, but he's a respecter of principle. If you would humble yourself and ask God, things can change. Things can change. You sense it, don't you? <laughs> that, that's not manufactured. That's that's Holy Spirit moment. That's that's someone, someone in this room is having a big thanks. Your faith is stirring stuff. <laughs> Come on. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. That 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 gets you into the courts. That gets you into the gates. <laughs> don't stop. I don't, I don't know what you need from heaven, but if you need something, 
You, I, I want you to come, come here, right now, come here, right now. If you need something from heaven, you need the resource of God, you need the resource of heaven, come on, this is it. This is the place, this is the moment, this is the time. Oh, let your heart have a big thanks. Let your heart have a big thanks. Be grateful for what God has given you. Come on, come on. God wants to take you to the next level. He wants to take you to where you haven't been yet. He wants to take you where your eyes haven't even seen. Your mind has not conceived what God has in store. Oh, my goodness. Church, if we would have people that have a big thank you, say, God, our faith is going to be huge this year because we're so grateful for what you have in store for us. We're so grateful of the resources of heaven. Oh, begin to lift your hands and just thank him. Just thank him for what, he, for what he's given you. Thank him. Just go down the list. Just thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Enter his courts with thanksgiving in your heart. But you got to know. You got to know. He's going to ask you for something. He's going to ask you for something. I don't know what he's going to ask you for. But when he does, you have to be willing to let it go. Be willing to give it up. Say, Lord, I'm going to give it up. It's yours. It's yours. Come on, worship team. Send us, send us into the Holy of Holies. Come on. church. You got to press in. You got to press in. Press in. Press in. Come on. He's chasing. Oh, the Father's wooing you. He's wooing you. He's calling you.
And I couldn't earn it. 